What is up? You are hanging out with Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, big music week, and then big old Timothy Chalamet. Big, big old hammer at the end. Talking beautiful boy. How you how you feeling this week, though? I want to check in with you first. This is your last week being, what, 25? 25, yes. Getting more washed by the day. Can't say it feels good, but I'm very stoked about a lot of things we're talking about today, so could be worse. Definitely could be worse. If you want to wish Dave a happy birthday, at Martin Swagger is the place to do it on Twitter. You can leave a comment below. Subscribe on YouTube to Nostalgia Pod. Also, go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and listen to us there or any other pl- way that you like to listen to your podcasts. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. It all helps. We appreciate you. Let's start off, though, with this music, a surprise EP that dropped. Khalid, our guy. Actually, I don't even want to say our guy because I was thinking, you know, he's very popular. You, you think about how Spotify puts the the projects and new projects that are dropped in their browse, and they usually put the most popular ones at the top. And he was at the very top behind uh, Panic at the Disco Spotify sh- sessions, which I was also thought was a strange move to put them above <laughs> new and original music. But he was above Juice World and Future. He was above Greta Van Fleet. Khalid, he's got those fans, dog. W- why is he so popular, though? Yeah, and when he said uh, our guy, I was like, I do not consider him my guy because I've kind of like pushed back against Khalid the past year or so. You know, he blew up last year with Location. Mm-hmm. Very big single. His whole album, American Teen, really big, massive streaming numbers. Got nominated for Best New Artist right away at the Grammys. We just turned 20 earlier this year, very young. But the reason I like push back is because, like, like you said, he's super popular to the point where, like, the Gen Z fans that, you know, his peers, they held him on a pedestal like he's, like, Frank Ocean. <laughs> and it's like, I really have nothing that bad to say about Khalid at all. But he's not that good. Like on that level, so let's slow that down. Let's slow that rule just a tad, like you know. Yeah. So he's overhyped by his own age group, I would say. But despite the fact that, like, I don't think he does anything bad at all. I don't think he does anything super outstanding either. That's kind of been my take on him the whole time. He's like, you know, I think he's slightly overrated, but not because he's really bad or anything. Yeah, and I think that was kind of where I was at listening to his new EP, Sun City. Um, there were some things in there I really liked. Vertigo was a song that especially caught my ear. It's very, um, I don't know, kind of chilly in, in ways, but also it, I guess like it sounds very distant, but brings a, a warmth to it that I think kind of mixes together really well and sounds really intriguing. But I found the whole thing just kind of like not really sure what he was trying to say, not really sure what he's trying to get across. And it sounded very just like middle of the road, like he couldn't really decide which direction he wanted to go in and it, just kind of hit me as uninteresting um it was good music to have on in the background at work though i will say that which i don't know if that's a compliment but if that's what he's going for he nailed it and that's the thing like nothing khalid does is offensive like you said (laughs) you can put on his music you know if you're into that like chill r&b um i think vertigo in particular on this new ep a little more poppy sound but he's really an r&b singer at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and it's again it's it's not going to rub you the wrong way. Won't really put you to sleep either. But it's also not going to wow you. At least that's yeah. where he's at right now. You know, I think I don't think he's he's got a good voice, not a great voice. I think his songs are written fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't do anything great, doesn't do anything bad. And so the fact that a lot of his songs are super, super high streaming numbers, I just find, I, it just, 
don't quite understand why that is because, you know, I think there's better options if that's what you're looking for. But, hey, the kids like him. Can't uh, begrudge him for it. Yeah, no, I mean, he's only 20 as well. So there's a lot of time for him to grow as an artist and find his voice. And I think, like you said, Vertigo is a standout. There's some things I think to like on here. But uh, for the most part, we're both kind of down on this and hope that his next full length project will be a little bit more substantive perhaps a band though that we've we've reviewed their last couple or at least their last album cloud nothings they broke out in 2012 with their album attack on memory but life without sound their last their last album before last building burning especially my take on it was they're trying to become a little bit more pop a little bit more something that can appeal to more people because they had a very punkish sound before and they did that with that last album, but it took away some of their bite. They definitely course corrected for this album and brought a lot more bite and a lot more, I think, traditional Cloud Nothings, even veering into the, the skid a little bit more than they had to. This is probably their most uh, edgy album yet. Knowing that you're not a big rock fan, I was wondering if, if this was an album that you dug at all or if this was something you were like, pass, hardcore, pass. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I'm a big pass on this type of contemporary <laughs> rock music. It's a note from me, dog. This ain't it, Chief. <laughs> Specifically, I think the worst moments on this album for me, they just sound, it's like loud noises, you know? And it's like the vocals are sometimes un, uh, incoherent to me. And it's just like really, really loud drums and stuff. And I was like, eh, this didn't do anything for me. Like, I guess it's hard, you know? I'm sure if that's what you're looking for, this probably is pretty appealing. That's really not what I like. So, didn't move the needle for me. But again, it's not shit I usually like. To take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> I kind of expected... I thought maybe you would like it a little bit because it, it it's not very similar to what we usually have been... Or we have been reviewing recently. You know, we've been doing a lot right. of hosiers, uh, snail mail, uh, the best. People that are very much in that indie genre, but that almost like soft rock indie genre. This is mm-hmm. way more punkish indie. And... I do think this is Dylan Baldi's most like intriguing vocal performance. There's a lot of like guttural and visceral yep. uh, sounding uh, singing oh. on this. And I, I think that actually is good for Cloud Nothings um, because it. I do think they're better when they have a bite to them. It at least makes it more interesting to listen to. I do think there's a couple songs. Dissolution, I know, is the, the emotional centerpiece of this. I don't really see think that that's a great song especially like mm. the three minute like drum i don't know was yeah. that interlude or bridge or solo i guess i don't I know. guess um that that wasn't super intriguing to me but i thought they were better when they were more concise like a song like um on an edge or leave him now i thought were songs that really stood out as better ones off this album and i do think there's probably a middle ground between um life without sound and last building burning uh, that they'll find, but you know, the story of Cloud Nothings at this point is a band that came out with a lot of potential and is still trying to figure out exactly where their lane is. So we'll see. I think the next album, the next album, will be the best one yet. Why don't we jump though to Greta Van Fleet because I want to save a future in Juice World before the end. And I know that you don't like Cloud Nothings, but Greta Van Fleet, you gotta like. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. But that's because it doesn't sound like modern rock music. That's why I like it. <laughs> So you like it because it sounds like classic rock music? Yeah, it's classic rock, which doesn't exist anymore. Literally every review you read about Greta Van Leet, literally anything you read about them, the first paragraph mentions that they sound exactly like Led Zeppelin, because it's true. 
the lead singer of Greta Van Vliet sounds exactly like Robert Plant on Led Zeppelin 1. It's almost uncanny how much he matches that like howl, that like warble of Robert Plant. It's, it's insane. So purely like technical grounds, sonic grounds, I like Greta Van Vliet. I think almost all their songs I, I dig because, again, it sounds like the 70s. It's cool. Um, and it's not stuff you hear anymore. Most people don't endeavor to make rock music so blatantly influenced by the, the music of the past, you know? So I like it for that regard. I think the more interesting questions around Greta Van Vliet is not when the music is good. The music is good. But whether anyone actually wants them to make music like this and whether, like, who is it for? Mm. But what did you think from this? Uh, their deb- This is their only their debut album. They had a bunch of EPs coming up to this. But what did you think? Well, it's interesting, right? Because the first time I listened to them, I was pretty dismissive. Like, I was, I really just thought, oh, this is Led Zeppelin karaoke. Cool. Like, it's it wasn't really anything that seemed new or groundbreaking. But... After I listened to the album, I kept playing their songs over in my head. And I was like, man, you know, like like the first one, Age of Man, I feel like has such just like a good like head bobbing like as you go through it, like type rhythm to it. And I was like, man, I really want to listen to that again. And then I was thinking about um, uh, Brave New World. And I was like, oh, man, the way that the guitars like come in there at the end and like really build up was so was so excellent. And they really just had moments throughout this album that had me coming back. You know, I, I had checked out their, um, you know, they, they dropped an A song EP last November. Mm-hmm. Um, and I checked that out a while ago. And it, I had really liked it when I listened to it, but it wasn't something I came back to a lot. But it, listening to this made me go back to that. And I really appreciated the work they did on that as well. Um, I, I think Greta Van Fleet is probably the most exciting name in rock just because this is their first album and uh to be performing at this level and making songs at this level and getting compared to i mean uh, i don't know if 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 it's an undeniable statement but the best rock band of all time like purely rock mm-hmm. um is really impressive and regardless of who they're making it for if they keep making this kind of music people are gonna are gonna come and and appreciate them for the band that they are and not just sounding like Led Zeppelin. Um, so I'm, I'm really pumped for Greta Van Fleet. It gives me some hope for rock music. And I know that you had a, mm. a podcast that you you sent me that I plan on listening to. Uh, maybe we should give that a shout out. But tell yeah. me more about what about this? Like, Do you think that they can actually like create a, a sphere for themselves within the rock world? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the key because, I mean, they're really young. I think they're almost all siblings. And yep. then, like one's like a friend all from uh, Michigan, the, I think it the is. The Kiska brothers. Yeah, and they're all between, the whole band is between the ages of 22 and 19. Mm-hmm. So they're very young. And so, again, some of these EPs came out when they were even younger, obviously. So um, it's an impressive point for people this young. It kind of reminds you of, uh, even though totally different sound, but reminds you of uh, the car seat headrest dude, who's mm-hmm. also really young. And Julian Baker, same thing. Like, you know, young people really uh, accomplishing something in rock music at a young age, which is nice to see. But. Yeah, I think their next um, next project, next body of work, whatever it is, however soon it comes out, is really important for them because they are going to be, like you said, how you initially reacted, they are going to be dismissed as just aping, you know, classic rock and prog rock of the 70s until they actually prove they can make stuff that doesn't sound like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, and the reason that matters is because when would you ever be in the mood for this type of music and decide to listen to Greta Van Vliet over Led Zeppelin? You know, it's like, oh, mm. like, you know, I, I don't ever, I don't see a scenario where I'd rather pick Red of Van Fleet. 
you know, and that's unfortunate because they're clearly very proficient guitars, uh, really good songwriters, uh, and a lot of good personality. They have everything, but they're making music that's so emboldened to the past that it almost doesn't like, it, you know, it's like holding them in. We want, I want to see what else they can do. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, how I would, I would think about it. And I mean, right now, they make music that I'm sure is going to be dope as fuck at, at uh, festivals. They mm-hmm. were just at Coachella. Yeah. And if they stay in this lane, they're going to be successful doing that circuit. But that's kind of what happens with all middle popularity rock bands, right? Make music, go do festivals, go do shows, make more music, go do festivals, go do more shows. That's all you can do, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they have the potential to be bigger, to do more because they have that sound. But I want to just, I want to see some evolution. Because, like, you know, it, it's like, it's just so, it's just, it's, it's their identity until it's not their identity that they sound like Led Zeppelin. It's like, mm-hmm. Francis in the Lights sounds like Phil Collins. It's so obvious you don't even need to say it, right? Right. But at least he can do stuff that's different. And I know, and we know Greta Van Fleet's talented listening to this music. So I just, I want to see more so they can kind of escape that label. Yeah, your point about, like, when would you ever pick listening to Greta Van Fleet over Led Zeppelin, I think is a good one. And it's an important one. It's going to be a really uphill battle for that for them because there is such similarity in the voice. You know, even if they make music that's way different, um, Led Zeppelin had a lot of different iterations of their sound. You know, like they're, they mm-hmm. went through phases where they uh, used more like psychedelic sound when they went more classic rock and relied more heavily on acoustic instruments. So, um it's going to be interesting to see how they do create that lane for themselves, but I feel really optimistic about this band for a couple of reasons. One, I think there's a lot of people, and especially those like 40 to 60-year-olds who, uh, you know, we were right on uh, during that time and are moving more towards like, uh, I don't listen to anything new anymore, and a lot of people in that age group are probably there, but this is the kind of band that they could probably get into and be like, oh, this band's really cool. Now, if that will work against them with younger people would be will be an interesting point. But I do think that this is the type of band that could have broader appeal than just to a younger audience. Um, another interesting thing about them and just thinking more about the idea of like, when would like what what could they could do to really differentiate themselves is I think there's been such a gaping hole for a band like them in the sphere of rock that even if they can't totally differentiate it, I mean, they're always going to be compared with the voice. And I think even their guitar sound, I think that's okay. Cause I think that a lot of people want to have a band like them that they can go see and that they can tour and that, you know, every time they're coming around, they're going to buy their ticket and they're going to see a great show. Um, I saw people commenting on their YouTube videos. They haven't even, let, uh, produce their their cashmere yet they haven't made their stairway to heaven yet and they're they're going to be put into this sphere where they're not they're going to have to meet these really lofty expectations but the songs that they thrive the most on i think are their longer songs because they are able to riff off each other so well they obviously have chemistry um i think greta van fleet's gonna be here for a while so uh that that's our very positive greta van fleet review any last thoughts yeah, I, th- I think the path for them is to be like Kings of Leon, you know? Ugh. Kings of Leon evolved a little bit, but they their original sound was more involved in the past than really anything that was coming out at that time in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of path to getting bigger, but also evolving a sound is uh, w- would make sense to me. 
and that and Kings of Leon also sounds quite different, obviously. Yeah. But I just think that's that should be like the the the, the thought in mind to evolve yeah. the sound. The template. Man, we've been talking a lot about Kings of Leon recently. I feel like we yeah. we were talking about <laughs> Shout them. out to Star is born. What? It's a shout out Jackson Maine. Yeah. Jackson Based Maine. Based off the lead singer. <laughs> Man. Uh I I didn't think uh without putting an album out, Kings of Leon was gonna get this much play this year, but hey. Uh, they have a real sp- they have a real uh, sphere within the culture at this point. It's kind of crazy, especially because when we when we were teenagers, that's when like Sex is on Fire and that whole album came out. So, anyways, let's jump to. What, I, I believe this was another surprise drop. Maybe I'm wrong, but Future and Juice World World on Drugs. Can you give me some? <laughs> we reviewed Future's last couple albums. What Beast Mode was his most recent one. Beast Mode Two. Beast Mode Two earlier this year. I think. The takeaway, basically for us, was there's some good songs on here, some eh, not not so great parts, but overall we thought it was an okay project. Juice World, uh, what releases debut album back in May, having Correct. a big year because he was also featured on the the Yachty album, which we're not going to be talking about in depth today unless you want to kind of go into it quick. But I didn't really know much about Juice World coming into this, and really my takeaway is that. There's there's something here, you know, that they obviously have chemistry and I think they have a good good way of playing off each other and building songs. But I didn't really find anything spectacular about this album, except for maybe one or two songs. I think the title track is, uh, is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if I'm in the minority here because I saw a lot of love for this album on social media. So what what was your take? Where do you stand with this? Yeah, I thought it was actually really great. There's been a lot of collaborative projects in rap recently i mean just since the past calendar year right halloween without warning comes out metro boomin 21 savage and offset very good then we had um that big sean metro mm-hmm. collab not good super slimy future and thug decent uh, hunter jack travis and quavo not that good two weeks ago we had a uh, drip harder little baby and gunna very popular not a big fan of it but a lot of people really like it a lot of these collabs are coming out, right? And this is a future in Juice World is one that I hadn't thought of until you know, I think a, like a week in advance. We started seeing on social media that they were, I think, you know, show, teasing videos from like music videos that they made, and I was like, oh shit, they have music coming out. Oh, they have a whole project coming out, a full length project. This is a really cool idea, and I think it actually really works on this because they complement each other much better than I thought they would. It's uh, I think they harmonize quite well on this. They both mm-hmm. fit each other's melodic sound. And, you know, Beast Mode 2, which we reviewed, was my favorite future project I ever listened to. I've never been that big in the future until this year. And then Juice World obviously breaks out onto the scene this year. Uh, Lucid Dreams, massive song in the top mm-hmm. 10. Um, and Juice World, you know, the obvious comp is he sounds like Post Malone mixed with Little Uzi Vert. <laughs> and... You know, I think that like you said, there's a lot there, there's a lot of potential with him. And he also has a lot of similarities with Future in terms of the way he raps about his demons and his uh, substance abuse and mm-hmm. his uh, just struggles in general. There's, there's a lot of uh, the Venn diagram is, is interesting. <laughs> and, you know, listening to this uh, World on Drugs, you know, I think from the jump, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, they have great chemistry right away, mm-hmm. and this shit just bangs. I thought Jet Lag, Astronauts, and Fine China, the first three songs, great sequence, and it was uh, fucking bangers. And then, like you said, there's some more introspective shit further down the track list, like the title track. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, obviously, there's, there's, there's some fat, of course, yeah. but Didn't need overall, to be 16 I, tracks. Yeah, 
but I was I was pretty impressed because I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. So do you feel like do you feel like you're impressed because you didn't expect it to be that good, or did, were you legitimately like, wow, there's some really really good songs on here? Yeah, no, I legitimately like a lot of songs. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, I I think I talked about this when we reviewed Beast Mode too. Uh, Trap is not my favorite sound um and i mean i think my my music trap right now what i said it's peak trap right now it's hard yeah. to escape the sound of and trap. that for that i think that a project like this which i think is very clearly in the trap lane they do have they do have some some songs that like you know you mentioned astronauts i really really liked um and also just kind of looking through the track list here let me pull it up i just had it um there was one near the end that i thought was really really good maybe it was 7 a.m freestyle actually yep, that was good that was one sure. that stood out to me as a really good one um i don't know i just it, juice world i'm very intrigued by i definitely want to go back i didn't get a chance to listen to his debut album but i i really want to listen to that i think mm-hmm. that future is what it is and He's got, you know, he's got the songs like Mask Off. I fucking love that song. I think it's great. And then he's got other songs that I really just hate. And I'm going to kind of play that role with him for the rest of my life. I'm not never going to be a huge fan of him, but I'll probably find some of his songs intriguing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you, do you think Juice World's got the staying power? Yeah, for sure. Um, shit, he'd be someone I'd be, I, I hope can reel in his drug use. Mm-hmm. You know, be worried about him. Uh, if you listen to his debut tape uh songs like black and white um he's got a bunch of songs where he just you know with my black friends doing cocaine with my black friends my right like he's he's like so blatant with his drug use as a young guy i'm just worried about him a little bit but yeah he um he showed a lot on that tape i don't think the tape isn't flawless by any means but he showed a lot of introspection again similar to future but i think maybe even more personal Mm -hmm. more um you know more intimate so I think with that, and also the fact that he can really like ride beats, I thought that's really what impressed me with his performance on this tape was that, you know, he. I mean, a lot. Of, I think there's some good beats. I thought the, there was I think two wheezy beats. I thought were really banged, mm-hmm. and he could ride these beats really good. And it's almost like he's being what we've wanted Yachty to do. You know, he's like he can be melodic, yeah. but he also can just do the rapping, and he's he's just more consistent at it already than Yachty has been so far. Um, like the song Wasted with Uzi off his new tape. It was like add to the tape after it came out. It was like a late single kind of deal. Mm-hmm. That's another one where like he just showcases a lot of versatility within the lane he's in right now. So yeah, I think he has a lot of uh, a lot of potential for sure. So I hope he, you know, I didn't expect him to release another project so soon because he mm-hmm. got so big, he just tore and making that cash right now. Um, so this was a pleasant surprise and I hope he you know keeps it up. Well, uh, we, we already updated the, Best of 2018 Nostalgia on Spotify. So go check that out and stay up to date with all the music that we're talking about. Um, we also put on uh, Sampha from uh, his new track from Beautiful Boy. Uh, it was in the closing credits and um, it's really, really... Uh, it, I, I thought it was a, a fabulous song, not only driving the point of the movie home, fitting mm-hmm. the vibe of the movie perfectly, but also just Sampha right now is... I feel like he can't miss uh, with most of what he's put out. But when we talk about Beautiful Boy, Felix Van Groningen. I knew I was not going to really pronounce that correctly, so I wanted to slow it down a little bit. But you got Timothy Chalamet. I mean, we, we saw him in Lady Bird. We saw him in Call Me By Your Name, which if you want to check that out, we reviewed both of those. Uh, Nostalgia, Best Of, and also had their own breakouts. So check that out on YouTube. You got Chalamet. 
height of his powers, people are comparing him to some of the best actors of all time. Young Brando, young Heath Ledger. You got Steve Carell, who is, I think, taking another step into dramatic acting and pretty much acing almost every single role he's had. I mean, what, he got nominated for the Foxcatcher two years ago? Foxcatcher, Big Short are the two uh, two standouts for him leaving comedy. When was the last time he did a funny movie? I can't even find a TV show. It's been a while. Been a minute. Anchorman 2? No, something since then, right? But basically, you got these two guys who have been crushing it, and I think they both give great performances. So why didn't I think this movie was as good as it could have been? I, I mean, I, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to figure it out, and I, I think that there's some some directorial choices that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think that there's some things with the script um, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I think what I'm mostly left with with this movie, maybe this is where we can take off the conversation, was this movie almost too realistic of a look at substance abuse to actually be like a really, really great movie? It is dark. It is uh, morbid. It's a tough watch you know? at points. Tough watch at times, for sure. It uh, doesn't pull its punches. doesn't uh, move the camera away, you know, showing injections, showing track marks. Uh, tough conversations to watch happen, all that. Um, you know, I think I think my biggest issue with the movie is actually Carell. I didn't like Carell in this movie. Um, I thought with a different serious actor, I think it's better. Um, and I think that's probably because I, th- in my opinion, Carell, it's it, it's like it lo- almost looks like he's trying too hard when he's doing something super serious like this. Mm-hmm. And as a controlling parent, it just, I don't know, it just wasn't totally vibing with me. I didn't think it was bad by any means, but I just think with a slightly different choice, I think it could have been more effective. Um, so that would be my choice. I didn't have a problem with the direction per se. I thought it was, I did start to notice that it was a lot of close-up frames, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like really squaring in on headshots and whatnot. But you know, I thought the narrative also because I mean it's based off of two memoirs, right? Mm-hmm. By uh, by Nick Chef and David Chef. Yeah, D- David Chef, the dad, beautiful boy, mm-hmm. and then Nick Chef also wrote his own memoir called Tweak, and it's based off both of those. But the story inherently is based off of David, based on the mm-hmm. dad, right? And I think if it was a different actor, uh, it probably could have been carried well, you know, because I mean, then the day, Chalamet is a supporting actor in this film; he's not the lead. Um, so that would kind of be over my, um, I think a, a little missed for me, but overall, so I was still really powerful, uh, you know, for all those obvious reasons. And, um, again, cause it doesn't pull its punches, but also because Chalamet, uh, fucking acts shit out of this movie. He's, uh, <laughs> tremendous. What were some scenes where you felt like Corral really missed? Like, is there any that come to mind where you were like, eh, that wasn't great. Yeah, I think when he's like chasing him out the house a few times, mm-hmm. you know, like running after him and just getting like really mad, and it's just like I just don't know if I really feel like you're mad right, right now, you know. So Shalman, you believe anything he does because he's so talented. He just uses <laughs> charisma and charm, whatever he has to do. He he just he is that role, right? Mm-hmm. And Krell in a serious role isn't quite like that. Um, and this is something that's like, it's really serious. It's really heavy and. For being a neurotic character, I don't know. It just seemed like maybe he, I wouldn't say he's overacting, but it just seemed like his he felt like he was trying too hard. Yeah. So that that was my take on him. You know, it's interesting. Um, I I remember there was a scene where uh, Maura Tierney is talking 
to him as he's like packing a bag to go look for Nick. It's near the second half of the movie. And right. when he's in he, New York. Yeah. And he got like really mad, like out of nowhere. It's, it felt like it felt like it really elevated quickly. Um, and that that was probably one of maybe like two or three times. So I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if, if that was that great. Like you said, Chalamet, I, I thought was pretty much excellent. And I can't really think of too many scenes where I left thinking like, man, Chalamet missed there. Cause I don't even know if there were any in the movie honestly um talking about like the the direct the direction and and the the script i thought the timeline jumping and especially in the beginning was a little like threw me off a lot you know they they show nick right in the throes of substance use and then they say one year earlier and they start they show a very short scene from one year earlier and then it goes back to him when he's like 13 years old jumping back and then i was like what are we watching here that was a little confusing and some of the 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 flashbacks were a little bit, um, I thought, like, too spliced in at points where it was a yeah. little confusing. I honestly could have done without almost all the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, like, we got it. We got the sentimentality, sentimentality, sentimentality aspect to it, right? Yeah. We understand, like, that relationship already. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like they just made it clear in Act 1. Right. You know, what happened. And the extra flashbacks later on throughout the movie didn't add anything to it. It just seemed like they could have trim those around done use different scenes something like that so mm-hmm. yeah I think that was an interesting choice yeah and uh, the, i guess like the follow-up to that and kind of where i was coming in with is this too realistic of a look and it doesn't pull any punches there's uh i mean there's a scene where someone uh that young girl is revived from an overdose and you actually see him like giving cpr to her and she like comes back to life it actually shows them injecting the meth into their veins it's very it, i mean it's, it's explicit for the the subject um, is you never really get that moment where Nick and his dad have that like reckoning where they, they talk about what it is about Nick's relationship with his dad and with his family that contributes so much emotionally to his substance use. Right. And obviously something that I think they do really well in this is they explain the physiological uh, effects of, of addiction and how it, at a certain point, the person loses a lot of control over their own bodily sensations to addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I was waiting for that moment where they sat down, they had that like face to face. I guess the diner scene is, is the closest yeah. they could have come. That's my favorite scene. It's, and I, it's the best scene in the movie, I think by far, mm-hmm. but they never really talked about what it was about the family. And I really just wanted that. That also might, might be yeah. the therapist side of me, like have some resolution to this. Like, um, but it felt, yeah too real at that point yeah it's interesting too because they're in what they're in like marin county mm-hmm. you know the north of the bay area right uh very affluent family by all accounts um <laughs> which also made me think this is taking place in what the early 2000s you know yeah like like you know pre-smartphone era they have normal phones um, that that razor the his so david's second wife is a an artist a painter Mm-hmm. And David is a freelance journalist working for a writer, whatever, working for Rolling Stone and other magazines. And they're in that fucking huge ass house. I was like, is that accurate? It's totally <laughs> not accurate now. Wouldn't work now. An artist and a writer living in a house like that. <laughs> Something I thought of. Didn't break the movie or anything for me. But because they, you know, it, it was again, some kind of almost obvious, almost tropey. It's like, and it's a real story, you know, mm-hmm. affluent family, everything going for the kid still finds its way has issues, you know, goes yep. down that path. It's almost stereotypical in a, in a sense. But yeah, um, 
you know, it ends rather abruptly. I'd actually be curious to see how the memoirs go because I, I assume um, the flashbacks are rooted in uh, David's memoir, right? Mm-hmm. That it must be a big part of that. But, you know, they, they basically end the movie with um, text on the screen. Mm-hmm. But they give you the resolution there that he did. He is in recovery. Know, in recovery right now. For, what, eight years, something like that. Right. But I think, you know, I think the crux of the movie, when the movie really works, is that first diner scene where I think that Chalamet's real mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for the award right there. Yeah, haunting as fuck. He's so good. Yeah. Um, but really, just the whole sequences around his two relapses are, are tremendous and incredibly hard to watch mm-hmm. um, just because you can feel it happening and, you know, it's really difficult. And also, I think what was really haunting for me was when he discovers his uh, notebook. Yeah, uh, Nick's notebook, and he's reading, seeing these like more, uh, dark cartoons, and reading what he says when he's really high, and uh, it, it was some tough stuff. And I think all of those moments really work. And again, it, it, the movie would not ultimately be successful without Shalmay's performance. But I think his performance around those tenets of the movie, uh, yeah, it was it was tough to watch, but absolutely worth it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, this is sixty five percent Rotten Tomatoes, um, but. I don't think the movie is that bad. I mean, if I had to give it a rating scale of one to a hundred, probably put it like a seventy-five to eighty. Um, and I think yeah. mostly it's just Chalamet balling out. And the, I mean, the other performances are good. Maura Tierney's good. Amy Ryan is good. Um, it was kind of sad to see, um, like Steve Carell and Amy Ryan like as divorced after. If anyone that watched The Office, I was kind of sitting there like, oh, Michael and Holly, come on, man. Um, but. I think uh, I think this is the sort of movie that kind of similar to First Man. Um, I probably won't wouldn't like go back and, and want to rewatch super quick just because it is so heavy. But it's an achievement in terms of telling a really difficult story and having I, I think two really good performances and Chalamet being I mean a shoe in for at least a nomination in this role. Oh yeah, I, I think at this point he's the favorite for best supporting actor. I think right now his chief competition would be Mahershala Ali for uh, green book which is yet to come out um and he's obviously no uh no easy foe he just won for moonlight obviously mm-hmm. but i mean this is this prove. i think a lot of the big takeaway for a lot of people is this proves that Chalamet is not a fluke in any sense calling by your name was legit because he is that talented he is that good and i think he's what 22 years old you know um He's already passed River Phoenix. He's already, uh, he's. I think I think he's sur- starting to surpass Heath Ledger because he's the thing with uh, Chalamet and Lucas Hedges as well is that they just continue to make amazing choices, yeah. targeting talented directors, great scripts, and even if they're not leading roles, again, this is Hedges. Boy Race will be Hedges' first leading role this year, mm-hmm. you know. But they continue to be very choosy with their projects, so that's uh, really impressive because you know you look at other young actors that came up something like Leonardo DiCaprio they weren't nearly as selective uh you know back in the 90s but I think um speaking of the critical reception I think it's interesting you know I mean what 65 percent that's effectively 50 50 in terms mm. of con- it's it's not it's not it's not consensus you know yeah and it's I'm just in, you know I've been reading a lot of the reviews and just interesting to see that they would a lot of you know half the critics are saying the review is negative, and a lot, of, a lot of the critiques are the same. It's structural things. It's Carell related, mm-hmm. you know. But it's like 
there's nothing offensive about the movie. So it's just interest. It's almost being held on a very high, high, high pedestal, you know, but I would encourage people to read a lot of the reviews, especially if you like the movie, just to see what that perspective is, you know, because I think a lot of people are eloquent about it, but it is interesting to see that it's, you know, <laughs> effectively 50, 50 for the critics. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I think that this is just an important movie to watch because I do feel like this is a really important topic that a lot of people don't really understand. Um, And it's good to see these sort of stories being made. And I think I would count this as a win for Amazon Studios for sure because they're going to get at least one nomination out of it. And there will probably be some technical ones as well. So um, It's making good money so far relative to the scope of the movie. So. Yeah, it's not, is it, it's not even in, in wide release yet, I don't think. No, it's in a few hundred theaters as of this weekend, yeah. um, but doing very well as a per theater average. So you figure it'll play for a little bit. So it'll make some money. Again, it's obviously not an expensive movie to make. It's not um, making that Halloween money, though. That's not, that's for sure. <laughs> a few movies are. Um, any last thoughts on uh, Beautiful Boy? Uh again see it for some reason you're still watching i really recommend the movie (laughs) yeah um very excited for chalamet's next roles uh the king his henry v movie which has a robert pattinson joel edgerton and ben mendelson in it as well it's gonna be a movie for sure as well as his uh role with greta gerwig in the Little Women, the, the eighth Little Women remake, mm-hmm. which has what? Sears Ronan, Meryl Streep, Emma Roberts, uh, Florence Pugh, you know. So those are his two movies next year. So, <laughs> And then down the line from that, he's going to star in Denny Villeneuve's Dune movie, the finally getting that made. So, you know, I saw some people saying that, oh, he's, Chalamet's too talented. Let's get him in a, get him in a Howard Hughes movie, you know, get him in a, like a, a new breakfast club. And it's like, I don't know if anyone's like clamoring for him to switch genres. I think we're all just happy to watch him make these amazing choices, you know. But <laughs> yeah, and at this point, can you really Den- like knock his his choices? Like the, right. the guy knows and, what he's doing. And and following that vein, doing something bigger in scope, he's still picking Denny Villeneuve to make that movie. <laughs> yeah, you know. So he continues to just hit dingers. So I'm fucking a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, Chalamet is is can't miss right now. Uh, he's he's on a different plane and i think lucas hedges after his next movie is going to be in the conversation so a lot and he's going to be in mid 90s just this coming week which actually is a good segue into what we'll be talking about next week what do you got mid 90s jonah hill's directorial debut i've been watching a lot of jonas press very exciting so that's the big film release wildlife carrie mulligan paul dano's directorial debut is similar similarly in very small release right now it might be around by me and you we'll see if we get to it this week but i'm definitely eager to watch that at some point nothing really on television um i think bodyguard british spy show starring richard madden rob stark from game of thrones premieres on netflix in full on wednesday so we'll try and talk about that at some point then musically a few smaller albums main tokyo joji from 88 rising but i'm excited for mick jenkins new album a lot of these singles have been dope chicago rapper really awesome we've been reviewing everyone from chicago so far this year so we got to keep that going chicago and florida um, man that's right and then uh also my tie jeremiah and ty dollar signs collab comes out speaking of collab albums a bunch of stuff to talk about as usual so make sure you subscribe here on youtube soundcloud itunes wherever you get your pods because we'll be 
talking about all that shit. Yeah, and hit us up on Twitter if there's something that we aren't talking about that you think we should be at NostalgiaPod and be looking for you know tweets about things that we don't talk about on the show. There's a lot of stuff we can't always get to, so it's a good place to stay up to date. Anyways, for Dave Martinson, I'm Pat Sheehan. We'll see you next week. Hey.